I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast, Ringer FC. I'm Musot Konga. Oh, we're back on Ringer FC now. Well, Look at you, make up your mind. We need to have a serious discussion okay. about this. We're on Ringer FC for now, but Ringer FC will become Stadio, a football podcast. So I just say, welcome back to Stadio, the football podcast. Just do it now. Well, this I'm keeping all this in, so it's fine. Anyway, how are you, Musot Konga? <laughs> Can't edit today. <laughs> Play it as I'm it very lays. well. Can I just say, I, I have been having a lovely week. It's been really lovely. Yes, Thank yes. Uh, I, um, yeah, I did a, a spoken word gig for the first time in a long time, and there was an amazing band in town, so I did some poetry before that gig. It was a Tank and the Bangers, absolutely amazing group. Uh, Can you tell everyone what you dressed up as yes. when you did this <laughs> show? <laughs> so I went on stage dressed as Father Christmas. Get on stage, they're like, this, <laughs> this German crowd, like, what, Fucking what the hell is this guy doing? And I was just like, well, actually, there's a method to my madness. And I was like, because you have a free gig in an incredible city with an incredible band, so I have to conclude that Christmas has come early. Hence, I stand before you dressed as Santa. And they had to agree that as ridiculous as it looked, the logic was sound. And it was great fun. And the great thing about it was... Even, even the Germans couldn't disagree <laughs> with that. <laughs> the great thing was actually, once you take the beard and the hat off, it looks like a really cool dressing gown. And I was like, oh, I could. Well, actually, I wanted to say, right, because I saw some, I saw you repost some, uh, a little video of you doing your, like, rocking your bars. <laughs> and I was just like, has Musa gone as Santa or is that just one of his jackets? Because I do, I couldn't, I literally no couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. Just great vibes. Uh, shout out to PXP. Oh, I'm glad, man. PXP won, did Got an amazing job there. Um, shout out to Tank and the Bangers, just an incredible band and just the student hotel as well. Just a great vibe all around. Um, few like, uh, Stadio people in the crowd. Were they? Yeah, there's always a few. And, um. There's always a few. Yeah, yeah. And my football team, the unicorns are out there in force. Shout out to all of them. It's an amazing night. Really great vibes. Nice, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you had a good time. I was Thanks excited so. I couldn't be there. Oh man, yeah, you're back in the- Back in the UK at the moment, but, um, Chet Wright's house, which has gone up. It was the first one that we did in the studio, mm. Flo and I joined Ian and we talked about 
a little bit about a right he watched bullet train he didn't like it so he had a bit of a <laughs> he wanted to get that off his chest at the beginning and we gave loads of flowers to Jill Scott and Ellen White after their retirement yeah wonderful we talked about Manchester United Liverpool because Ian and I were there and we also just talked about that result and the kind of some of the results from the weekend and how the Premier League shaking up after three games mm. and how it kind of really feels like anyone can beat anyone this year, maybe even more so than, well, I don't know we're only three games in, but more so than recent memory. The fact oh, that yeah, yeah, definitely. For, the fact that only Arsenal have won all of their first three games um, feels a little bit odd that there's already like such a condensed, there's like the, con- the condensed, no, the expansion of the Premier League middle class, Musa. Yes, well, exactly. The, listen, I'm so glad you got into this. Like, we've done that on the podcast about Wrighty's House. We won't go over the ground too much, but there is no way that Pep was expecting to drop those points no. at Newcastle. He wasn't expecting to drop them there. And that, I think, changes the conversation. And it's actually why um, Liverpool have some calls to be a little bit calmer, actually. Some quick admin other than Wrighty's house. We hope everyone's staying safe and well. Don't forget to check the ringer. Dot com. Some great stuff going up at the moment. Brian Phillips' 22 Goals podcast is continuing. It's very good. I've been enjoying that. And also, Stadio Outro's plays on Spotify. All of the music we play on each episode, newest ones at the top. Got a lovely one today. Mm. I'm very happy that we get to play out on this one. But you'll find out what it is at the end of the show. All right, so today we're going to touch on a few of the midweek games. Then we're going to talk a little bit about Barcelona's young core. Then we'll touch on a couple of transfers, including Alexander Isaac to Newcastle and Callum Hudson-Odoi, who looks like he's going to buy Leverkusen on loan. And then we'll use that to talk a little bit about the Bundesliga because it wouldn't be a stadio without some Bundesliga. And we haven't talked about the Bundesliga enough yet. We have not. We have despite not. Despite it having mentions on every single episode. <laughs> Let's do one day a, a podcast in, in our bad German about, about the Bundesliga, just entirely. Dude, I, I haven't told you this, but I'm actually starting my own German football podcast. <laughs> this is breaking news. It's going to be called the Hundersliga. Podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised you haven't already been doing it privately. I'm, I'm sure you've got like a few episodes like under wraps already. In Welcome the to the Hundersliga podcast with me, Ryan Munich. <laughs> <laughs> Ryburg. <gasps> Ryburg. <laughs> Why do we... <laughs> Ryby Leipzig. <laughs> there he is. There he is. Got him. Got him. Got him. Hi, God. Who else can we have? Who else can we have? Think about it. Hunch and Gladbach. Hunch and Gladbach. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ryan Track Frankfurt. Hoffenhand. Hoffenhand. <laughs> Riser Slauten. <laughs> winner. That's the winner. Do I take Bundesliga Massive? That's the <laughs> Rise that's, of that's the winner. Um, anyway, uh, that's not actually happening. Although I'm now tempted. Now I've talked about it. Yeah, very tempted. You did like a t-shirt with all the different like iterations. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into it after this. Let's do it. All right, man. So quickly before we get into whichever topic we're going to start first. Quick shout for Rangers who beat PSV in the second leg, 1-0, in Eindhoven to make it through to the group stages. And I think it's the first time that two Scottish teams will be in the group stages of the Champions League for 15 years, which is incredible. It's huge, yeah, yeah. Great job from Gio van Bronckhorst. We'll touch on the Champions League draw on Monday, maybe. 
Um, Dinamo Zagreb made it through. Copenhagen made, made it through as well. Victoria Pilsen and Maccabi Haifa and Benfica eliminated Dinamo Kiev. Oh, it would have been lovely to see Dinamo in there, but obviously with everything that's going on. Do you know, actually but, I was going to say this. This is why I love that Zinchenko's at Arsenal with the platform he has. Yeah. To talk about Ukraine. I love that he's there. But yeah, you're yeah. right. Great to have Kiev in there. Um, some EFL Cup games as well this week. Uh, probably the biggest result of all of them was Crawley knocking out Fulham. I'd Big say. deal, yeah. I actually kind of forgot that the EFL Cup was on until Tuesday night, the Carabao Cup, when it started happening. I was, I think I was in the car with someone. I heard, a, we heard like they were talking about it. I was like, oh God, it's on again. It's, the, it's on. The speed it's all returned is wild. Yeah. It's wild. Barcelona hosted Manchester City this week in a friendly, three-all draw at Camp Nou. Uh, it was for... It was a charity game for, an, for, for ALS. Lovely. And they raised a load of money and uh, it was a lovely, wholesome occasion that was so wholesome. Manchester City were awarded a 99th minute penalty <laughs> <laughs> to equalise and everyone went home happy. And there was a lovely, wholesome bit on the bench with um, afterwards and full time when the final whistle went with Pep and Javi just shooting the shit. And uh, it's quite interesting because it was Manchester City's final free week Free midweek, mm. um, I think until the international break, or maybe until the World Cup, including the international break. And uh, yeah, so good of him to go and do that. That charity I wonder how game. much time Pep and Xavi actually get to like break it down and yeah. chat. You know, I wonder because yeah. they, they always say like when you leave clubs, you don't you don't really see people anymore. And Pep that, has left the group. <laughs> yeah, Pep has left the chat, and I, I just wonder how much you know coaches just jump on a call, jump on a Facetime. Like, I, I love to, I love, to, I love to think that like people that have fallen out of touch or like left clubs ever and again will check in just to just talk about tactics or how things are going. So I've, I've always, I've always been interested in like what the managerial community is like, you know, behind closed doors. It's something I've never really had access to um, yeah, in terms of conversations. Yeah. 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 I agree. Well, speaking of Barcelona, despite all of the, the, would you say it was a, a brouhaha of a summer? Yeah. I think that's, I, I, I Real great word. Yeah, lovely word. Uh, they've got some amazing young players that we have been fans of for quite some time. We've criticised the Barcelona board this summer. We criticised them last summer. We criticised them the, the summer before. Mm. And I do believe, how many summers is that? 2020. We, we actually criticised them when we first started Stadio and no one was listening. Because... You said the words in a very early episode of Stadio that the Neymar transfer broke Barcelona. I think it might have even been September, so a month after we started Stadio. Mm. And that's been a common theme that we've revisited because although Barcelona were deep into their mismanagement by the time that Neymar left, that seemed to be, what's the word? That was like like the kind of... The Rubicon? I don't know if it's crossing that particular line or... That was, do you know what that was? That was like the bit in, okay, spoiler alert for anyone who wants to watch Loki and hasn't seen it, skip forward 30 seconds. Yes. Now, like the bit in Loki yes. where he who remains sits there and goes, we've passed the threshold and I don't know what's going to happen. Yes. I knew what was going to happen up to this point, but now I don't. That's a great, yes, exactly. That's exactly what that was. The name I transfer was all of those things. Everyone knows what's happened since. So this summer they sign Andres Christensen, they sign. Rafinha from Leeds. They signed Frank Cassier from uh, AC Milan on a free transfer, though. Yeah. And they signed Jules Kunde from Sevilla. 
little reminder that Jules Kunde still isn't registered at the time of recording, by the Wild. way. Wild. And Robert Lewandowski from Bayern Munich. But they already had Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, which they signed in yeah. January, and they're now looking to move on. Yeah. They had Memphis Depay, Depay, which they signed last summer. They're now looking to move on. And they had Ousmane Dembele, who re-signed yeah. for, for a lower salary than he was on before. And I just wanted to read this out to you because listen to, so put it into perspective. In the squad, Gerard Piquet is the oldest member of the squad. Mm. 35 years old. Sergio Busquets is 34. Lewandowski comes in and is the third oldest player in the Barcelona squad. Jordi Alba's 33. Aubameyang's 33. Pjanic, who's not going to play really, right, is 32. Martin Brathwaite, who's probably going to leave, is 31. You look at the bottom, Gavi, 18, only just 18 as well. Uh, Alex Balder, who played last week and was really good at left back, 18. Pedri, 19. Pedri is 19, Musa. It's ridiculous. He feels like a stalwart already and he's 19 years old. It's ridiculous, yeah. yeah. Ansu Fati, 19. Eric Garcia, who's come in. Remember, Eric Garcia is still only 21 years old and may develop into a really good centre-back because few centre-backs are mega accomplished at 21. Apart from Araujo. <laughs> Serginio Dest, 21. Looks like they're trying to move him on. Yeah. Manchester United was a rumoured destination for him, mm. although they have been rumoured with everyone. Ferran Torres, 22. Raul, 23. Kunde's coming in as 23. Dembele, 25. Frankie De Jong, 25. Rafinha's coming in as 25. Kessier's 25. That's a great age profile for them, those two signings, because... Yeah. The Kessier signing, I think, is the interesting one because he didn't cost them any money. And if Barcelona this summer had just picked up, say, Franck Kessier and... Because Christensen came on a free as well, right? Yeah. So Kessier, Christensen and Lewandowski. That's what you need. They really need Kessier too, I would say. They really need Kessier. I don't think they needed him, but that is a really, really good additional midfielder. You know why? Because, because you know they need age profile. Yes, exactly. You're future-proofing yourself yeah. against Busquets. And also, you are protecting yourself against the inconsistency of younger midfielders. Like Pedri is a stalwart. Gavi is not. Gavi is someone who is going to show, I think, that bit of inconsistency over time just because he's just a bit younger. And Pedri is like, Gavi's extraordinary, get me wrong. It's more like, I think Pedri's consistency is just otherworldly in a way that Gavi is going to be subject to think more of the ups and downs you'll see as a young player develops, just naturally, just naturally. Like, You've seen it a little bit already in certain games. You're like, actually, Gavi didn't penetrate or run the game like he's expected to. And that's a big ask of putting those three out there every single week. And also, I think you need to have different problems to present to opposition because people know Busquets isn't going to do the running. That isolates Gavi and Pedri and people start working out schemes for you. And if you're bringing Kessier now and then, it disrupts that momentum. And also, like, we saw it again with, with Frankie de Jong, actually, in the first game of the season against Rio, like, when he comes on and runs from deep, like Busquets does many things, but he doesn't run at you from deep. He sets up shop in the edge of your box and then just picks you off from 30 yards, which is great. But sometimes you need someone to do a kind of Kovacic style, charging at the press, drawing free kicks, drawing players. So yeah, that, that midfield configuration, I think is very, very good recruitment. Um, but some of the forward signings, you know, the Rafinha signing and, you know, <laughs> Rafinha is a very good player, don't get me wrong. And the argument I think it could be is that if we're going to get right into it very quickly is you know, Ansu Fati is someone you want to ease in. 
to the action. So it makes sense to have Rafinha there. Um, but I'm not entirely convinced you couldn't have got that out of, let's say, an Adama Traore. I still don't, I, I'm still not convinced you couldn't get, if that's what you want as an extra personal body, because what happens when Rafinha wants more, more minutes, more playing time, You've got mm. Ferran Torres. And I, I, I just think that, that someone like Ferran Torres, for example, could quickly find themselves in a bit of trouble, actually. I think they all could. And yeah. I think that's the thing, that Barcelona just got so many people in that front line now. And with Ansu Fati returning, mm. I know they don't want to put too much pressure on him to play too much, but I don't think they even needed to because with Mbele returning or re-signing, if you think you have in that front line, Depay, Aubameyang, this is without Fati, Depay, Aubameyang, Torres, Dembele, Brathwaite, mm. Am I missing anyone? Probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, no, you're not missing anyone. That's, that's, that's what, and actually, to be honest, it's, there's going to be slight questions over Xavi, I think, very quickly because he even had those players and struggled to get goals out of them. Mm. Like, and I, there's a part of me that's like, you know, because it's Xavi and, you know, Xavi's played some great combination football. There is a small part of me that thinks you should have got more goals out of those forwards towards the end of the last season. And I'm not convinced that Klopp wouldn't have, for example. Mm. I think if you give Klopp that configuration of forwards, he gets more goals out of them than Xavi does. The, the, the slight criticism I have of Xavi is when the machine isn't working, and this is maybe a criticism of early Arteta, when the machine isn't working, the goals dry up a bit too quick. Yeah. And I, my, my one criticism of Goldilocks here. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a bit like, I don't feel like you have the plan B. Like, you know, look at Real Madrid. Real Madrid, the ultimate, like, <laughs> plan B, C, they'll make sure they can do any, they'll score any kind of goal. Like, they must be a nightmare to analyze because you look at the goals they score, and you're like, it's a mess. <laughs> it's wild as a bag of cats. They just, Madrid pull, mm -hmm. they pull goals out of everything. But my one criticism of Xavi is that, really, not, not having a plan B. But um, back to the recruitment and back to, the players Barca brought in, like we know all of that, the age profiles, it is what it is. But the young players, the young players, and obviously Nico Gonzalez on loan as well, who is yeah. spectacular, who is kind of your kind of Busquets in waiting in terms of the, the elegance he brings to it. That age bracket, that profile of young players is, is very, very good at Barca. And just, it's easy to forget how good. Yeah, well, this is the thing yeah. I think we, maybe why we, went in a little hard on them. I think they deserve to be gone in on for, for the way that they, they, you know, the kind of reckless nature dressed up as we need to do this for the club, the sake of the club thing in mm. terms of we're going to, you know, they, they, knew every, they knew everything that was going on. They knew the financials. They were sitting on a group of young talent there, which is probably as close to the golden generation of La Masia people. I know Pedro didn't come from La Masia, but as close to that generation in terms of how many breakout stars are there? Yes. It's the closest they've been since. Yeah. And the difference was in that, with that generation, Pep put all of his faith in them. Yeah. With a couple of key experienced heads in there. And what happened in the summer is that it felt like they were signing, I put it this way, there's a really good thing that Edu said about Arsenal, about how, because you know Arsenal have had some absolutely dreadful, uh, have recouped some some pretty measly yeah. transfer fees. 
But what Edu said is that actually sometimes it's worth taking the hit on and cutting the wages and actually just cancelling or paying off the player because you then see it as, as he sees it as an investment on clearing the path for, an, yes. for someone who's coming through. Yes. And I'm not saying that Arsenal are the model of transfer activity by any means, but I'm saying that that process is actually quite interesting because Dembele, for example, is of an age profile that is absolutely wor- worth keeping. Like Dembele re-signing for a lower salary than yeah. what he was on is an amazing bit of business by Barcelona yes. because they basically told him to fuck off in January. Yeah. They were putting so much pressure on him and he was just like, no, I'm going to stay. I'm coming back to training. And he, he was integral in that final part of the season. Absolutely. And he hit some really, really good form. That for them is a really smart bit of business. But then you've just spent a huge amount of money on someone like Rafinha, who I like Rafinha. I've said this before. Like I like him. He's a great player. I don't think Barcelona needed him. Much in the same way that like, I actually don't think they needed Lewandowski. But what? But the Lewandowski thing I understand more is in, in regards to what you said about, like Lewandowski will get you a goal. Yeah, if he's available, you get, I think Lewandowski is one of those players where if he's available, you get him, you take him. Yeah, you just yeah, get him. You just have to. Yes, Lewandowski. Well, they have signed a really, really great young centre-back heading into his peak years, Jules Koundé. Yeah. They can't register him. Yeah. Wild. Whereas they have someone like Araujo there who can play. And he seems to be made of iron, tungsten or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they, brought in, they brought in Christensen, who I think is a good centre-back. They've got Eric Garcia and they've got Gerard Piquet. Actually, in, in Barcelona's defence, the physical decline of those players is pretty rapid. Like I, I just wonder in Barcelona's defence with, I think, again, the Kunde signing is future-proofing. I, I think it's yeah, I, fu- I, th- I think it's future proofing, but, but it's not if they don't if they can't register him in time. No, exactly. I mean that that young core that Barcelona have is just the envy of so many. I mean, what I want to just quickly say about Gavi and Pedri and Ansu Fati, very quickly, those three in particular, they're actually wild. They've normalised. How do I say it? Like my, I don't have any expectations of them, and what I mean by that is they're so good that I'm surprised if they underperform like I expect them to be like an eight out of ten every time they're mm. on the pitch. It, it's so wild. Like, you know, Ansu Fati came on against Real Sociedad, who were playing really well. We had that chat the other day in the podcast about it. He absolutely tore them apart. He yeah. dissected them. And it, the thing about them that blows my mind, and this is in praise of how they've been coached, so credit to obviously um As Palmas, who where um uh Pedri was before, and now credit to Barcelona and what they've done with him. Because these players, they have been coached to that level. They have been developed and given the confidence and the freedom. They look in some ways like fully formed, like Gavi may be the, the one that's, in terms of consistency still a issues, st- still a little bit, but, but even there. He's just turned 18. The decision-making <laughs> from them. I, I joked about this many times, the time they're playing in the Nations League in France, uh, Spain, and Chiromeni loses Gavi on the halfway line because like, Chiromeni was like, whoa, whoa, like, <laughs> you can do that. And you can you see them surprising opposition. Like, Dude, honestly, the Gavi Scrappy Do comparison will never not be absolutely bang on. No, it'd be hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Like he'll go outside with like a completely clean school clothes, and within five minutes, it's covered in like dust and whatever. It's like, how are you dusty? Everything and his shoelaces are untied. It's tarmac like, out he there. Literally, do you remember when he played half that game with his shoelaces undone? Yeah, yeah. His <laughs> was just, I was just like, oh, you're such a teenager. As you're such a. <laughs> But what I love about them is their, their choices, like 
the choices of passing and it's strange with football because you can watch a game like you know you watch some United games for example and the ball's going from left to right and the switches look tired and it's just not crisp and then you see like someone like an Ansu Fati playing against Real Sociedad and then the space they find you know jumping into like the, the, all the pockets of space all the rest of it and the combinations they're finding and the runs they're making to dictate passes and all of it is just it's so advanced like even and I'm gonna I'm gonna put my include myself in this even I, what Pedri did was so advanced against Real Sociedad. I had to go back and actually like watch it again to fully understand what he was doing because he was basically mm. taking up four or five positions. Like at one point I was like, have they got like a third centre back in there? Like, and then they had, it was just that he was going and getting it off Ter Stegen, which was a very, actually a very Iniesta thing to do. Going and all very, very Iniesta, also very Modric, you know, there's even, there's even, they're so good, Pedri and Gavi and, and Sufati that when they're not on the pitch, you're watching Barcelona do certain things and you're like, Pedri would have done that. Like there was actually one moment in the, um, in the United-Liverpool game, I think, where one of the United players was playing out from the back by the corner flag. I remember thinking, like, you know, Pedri or Modric would have run back and created an option because you've seen so many times Pedri or Modric sprint back from near the halfway line to help out the fullback, turn the pressing attacker and switch wings. And you're like, that's a decision that like, elite people don't make. So now I now find myself watching football with like, what would Pedri do? <laughs> Which is actually a lesson for life as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been big fans of a lot of those, those guys for a while. And the actual numbers that they have in there, I don't think will block the pathway to many of them. Like Lewandowski doesn't really block anyone apart from maybe like Ferran Torres. Right. Of the, like of the younger players, because he's still so young. Like Aubameyang, we know what he can do. Martin Brathwaite, we know what he can do. Memphis Depay, we know what he can do. And Lewandowski is a massive upgrade on all of those guys. Frank Kessier isn't a massive upgrade in midfield, but he's a really, really good option yeah, entering his peak years. And he option. didn't cost any money in transfer fees. Rafinha is interesting because he does potentially block a couple of pathways for some players there. Mm. And I don't think he's a massive upgrade. I don't even, I'm not even entirely sure he's an upgrade on Dembele. He's definitely not an upgrade no, on he's, Ansu he's, Fati. He's not an upgrade on Dembele because Dembele will get you, Dembele's proven that he scores really important goals. Yeah. So this is the thing about the, the, the strategy is that did you need to spend that money on a player that doesn't actually upgrade, doesn't, doesn't shift the needle in terms of starting 11 and actually is in an area that you didn't really need to add that much depth? Yeah, that's a fullback. Because of the versatility get, get, get of a few people instead. who can play a front that, across that front line. Get a fullback instead. That's the thing. Like, if they don't sign Rafinha, Kunde's registered. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think that was why we, we were so just like, what are they doing? They don't need to do this. They're making this so much more dramatic. and, and Make it harder for themselves than it needs to be. They have these young players that are like, Ansu Fati taking the number 10 shirt last season, you and I both said he was the only person in that squad who could have really taken it without any pushback yeah you know the perfect candidate and it's and it's I think I used the analogy of like you know the Harry Potter the the wand chooses you you don't choose the wand yeah exactly that was kind of what it was like for Anthony the, the, like, yeah. the number 10 shirt just kind of went it was on him he couldn't do anything about it <laughs> yeah it picked him that's how special these young guys are that's a special young core just wrapping up on this because we've been going on a while but for uh, for all of the drama around Barcelona and for all of the the completely avoidable situations that they've got themselves into on the pitch, in the dressing room, purely in a football sense, this team is looking potentially brilliant. And they there are a few teams in Europe who 
could list that much young talent with that much quality. I agree. And, and, and it's, it's so exciting for the next generation of Barcelona and Real Madrid with their young cores. Like the really intriguing question is who Real Madrid replaced Benzema with in like two, three years. That's really well, it's actually quite interesting on the Real Madrid thing because they haven't been extravagant in their spending over the last few years because they were saving the money for Mbappe and or Haaland. Actually, if you look at the two approaches from Barcelona and Real Madrid, both were kind of bleeding poverty and Real Madrid just, <laughs> I can't believe these words are actually coming out of my mouth, but Real Madrid acted quite sensibly, sensibly. for a few yes, years in a row. You had to hesitate, didn't you? It's unbelievable. It's like, Am I tripping? Yeah, yeah it's, it's so wild. So wild. <laughs> it's just like, what are we, where are we? <laughs> yeah, Real Madrid is so weird. It's like watching like a magician retraining as an accountant. <laughs> Being unbelievably good at it. Yeah, unbelievably good. Like, oh my God, you're an amazing musician. You're a wizard. Oh, like, oh, you're like long sleeves. I'm also just really good for numbers. Cut the tats. Yeah, yeah. Drink up better at numbers. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, we take a break. Let's do it. Alexander Isaac. Looks like he's signing for Newcastle United. That is an extremely interesting signing. Extremely interesting. So if people are expecting him to be a goal machine, they might be initially disappointed. It's, it's interesting because it depends what he's going to do against different types of defenders. You know, you know, La Liga defenders are different to Premier League defenders, different profile, all the rest of it. One thing that I think is certain is that he's going to generate scoring opportunities for other, other players, other forwards, because he wreaks absolute havoc. Like you, you look at what Alan Zermaxman did, and you add Isaac to that. Isaac's footwork is spectacular. And I think it's fair to say that in his time at Real Sociedad, and, and for Sweden actually, there's times he's been asked to do quite a lot with not so much. Mm. Slightly similar situation to Joao Felix at Atleti where he's had to sort of forage quite a bit for himself and create opportunity. Not that Real Sociedad don't, aren't creative. It's not that. It's more that there's a lot of legwork he's been asked to do. You know, pulling into channels, pulling wide, like almost like a sort of Victor Osimhen type thing where he's had to do like multiple things in the attack. And I think what's going to be exciting for him is the opportunity to play more centrally, like not have to make so many of the runs to the channels and really just spend the next year, two years, just focusing on, on kind of goals and, and really like going at that. Because I think there is a prolific striker in there, if that makes sense. But I think that to expect that out the gate is a lot. What, what it does mean, we, we have seen that Newcastle, we saw it against Man City, we've seen that this Newcastle team is capable of pulling apart any defence that's not fully on its game. Like, you know, they have to say the caveat, the caveat of Man City lost a defender early in that game and Stones had just come back. So there was a bit of disarray there that, City, that the Newcastle could exploit. But Isaac is going to like really, he's going he's to really, really worry a lot of, of defenders because there's, there's no one really, I would say, quite like him of that age profile in, in the Premier League and maybe even in Europe, actually. Like, there were a lot of comparisons to Zlatan when he came on the scene. And look, I, I get and a lot, some might say that was a lazy comparison. Actually, I don't think it entirely was because the, the type of footwork 
it, it's, 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 un, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate they're both tall and Swedish because that's an easy comparison. But actually the Zlatan comparison would have been fair, even if they'd been different nationalities, because the type of footwork that Zlatan brought to that role, which is kind of like a nine and a half, what, what Isaac does well is bring players into the play so well, other players. I think it's an unbelievable deal for L'Oreal. I think so. Yeah. It's a lot of money to pay for someone who's not an established scorer yet. 70 million euros. Yeah. For someone who scored 42 goals in 130 games for them. Right. He had an unbelievable season, I think a couple of years ago and the season before that when he broke out or when he went to Real Sociedad from Dortmund. But this season he hasn't, like or last season, sorry, he, he hasn't had the best year. No. And I think that the fee for someone who maybe hasn't had the best year, who hasn't clearly defined who they are as a player yet, yes. I think is a big risk. It could work out amazing because like I say, he's very young still. He's got a lot of time to develop. But I think when you come to the Premier League with, and this isn't a kind of like, oh, you know, when you come to the Premier League, you better come correct because it's the best league in the world and all that kind of shit. No. I just mean that when you come to the Premier League and all, you know, the, there are more eyes on it than any other league. We know this. And you come with such a high fee, mm. you don't really get a lot of People are expecting a volume time. goal scorer. People are expecting, yeah. but we know that, look, we know Newcastle have unlimited funds. I mean, literally unlimited funds. We know that. And also the acquisitions, I would say until this point have been, ah, that's like very sensible. The, the problem is that amount of money, well, we watch Isaac, so we can be quite sanguine about what he does and doesn't offer at this point in his career. But if you are a Newcastle fan and you don't watch much of La Liga because, you know, frankly, you're busy and you haven't got time to follow mm. multiple leagues, you see him come in, you're expecting 20 goals a season. Mm. You just are. Why wouldn't you? That's a logical thing. Whereas we're like, actually, it's more nuanced and you'd like put someone alongside him in a two, as you were saying yesterday. He won't get that time. And very, very, look, we've, we've seen in the Premier League, they're very good at throwing multiple bodies at you and even snuffing out your dribbling threats. We saw it happen to Martial. Once people realised what Martial could do, they threw a triple team at him. Once it happened with Salah, we saw they threw, well, they still couldn't fully stop him, but they did it. And that's going to happen to Isaac when they realise that you're not a player that has been scoring consistently for the last year. How is he going to cope when they isolate him out on the flank with two or three players around him? That's because that's going to be the diet for him. I mean, we, I think, would you be fair to say, because I think his best football came when he, him and Oyathabel like really had Oh, completely. That, like, yeah, absolutely. They, they had just this understanding and, and again, it's really interesting, like two strikers that aren't really out-and-out out nines. No. Oyathabel's probably more of a, like a what? Like a, he's more of a kind of like shadow striker, second striker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even attacking midfielder almost. Even, yeah. Even, yeah, yeah. But, in terms of a profile. Sometimes they really played up there in that too, especially when they won the, the copper, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I just think it really, I, I know it, this might sound like, you know, when, when, when clubs make a marquee signing, you know, everyone wants to be like, right, this is the guy that's going to take us to the Champions League. But I feel that so much of it is going to be down to the chemistry that they strike up, up top, yes. who that's with, and the configuration around him. But the reason why I think that Isaac sign is interesting is because they tried to get Hugo Ekatike from RAS before he went to PSG. Mm. And if you look at the, the type of player they are, they're not, they're not that dissimilar quite rangy runners, like um, dribbling that just disorientates defences, that breaks down teams. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the primary quality that Newcastle are looking for at this point, like a disruptive dribbler. Mm. And the goal scorer might be someone else. 
I think they just have to communicate clearly um, what he's been brought in for, and then it's all fine. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of pressure. Um, and I'm excited to see him in, in the Premier League, though, and, and, you know, I think he... We don't know what his upside is yet. No, so what, what I will say... We don't know what, the level, we don't know his ceiling is, let's say. What I will say with uh, the Premier League, what I've noticed in the last few years, certainly, is fit has become very, very clear, very quickly. Mm. You know, before in the Premier League, they'd be like, oh, it takes six months for a player to settle in, then they'll be fine. I actually think it's a different thing now. It's almost like if a player doesn't look right within a few months, they're never going to look right. Mm. Like if you, how many times you looked at the Premier League in recent years and been like, oh, that player might... And actually, like Timo Werner, for example, it never quite, it never quite kicked off him. There were elements of like, oh, that's great, that's great, but it never quite cohered. And I think almost the rule is now, if you're not, it's not a sign within the first year that something's really working, it's probably not going to work. Mm. Um, and this is not to put pressure on Isaac at all. It's simply like, we'll know how good the fit is, I think, sooner rather than later. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite confident for him because I think that he's such an intelligent player. And I think that with someone like Alison Maximan, who was spectacular start of the season, I think those two in particular have a great understanding and the space they'll make for someone like a Callum Wilson, you know, he could be feasting actually. Mm. And maybe he's, been, maybe he's been signed to bring out what's there in existing players rather than, oh, we'll sign Isaac and then get somebody else. Because, you know, we talked before, I mean, I've mentioned before the phrase connective tissue for an attack. And, you know, Ansu Fati is that for um, Barcelona, I think which is why like, when, when, when he's like the electromagnet, the moment he came on, Dembele just yeah. like went to another level. And so that's, and it's the, it's the, it's the partnership with Pedri as well. The Ansu Fati Pedri understanding yeah. is just like. Right. And I think, so Maximan well. is the connective tissue, but I think the understanding with Isaac could take that whole attack to a different level. Yeah, I agree. Let's we talk about another signing really quick. Yeah. Because that might help us segue into some stuff about the Bundesliga briefly. Mm. Um, Callum hudson Doy is r- heavily rumoured to be on his way to Bayer Leverkusen mm. on a season-long loan deal. I think the Bundesliga is a good look for him. I agree. We talked before about Eintracht Frankfurt or Borussia Dortmund. I would have loved that as a fit for him. And certainly now with the loss of Kostic to Juventus, even more so. I mean, then again, does he really want to play as a wingback? I don't think he does want to play as a wingback. So I think actually the Eintracht situation might not work for him, and that's fine. Leverkusen, not with the best start. Now, what I would say is Hoffenheim do do that. They do have a habit of like, they do like spotting. Yeah. Well, for those who, for the, let's for, fill some people in, for those who are unaware, don't follow the Bundesliga. They, yeah. This is coming off the back of a 3-0 home defeat to Hoffenheim, yeah. which followed a 2-1 home defeat to Augsburg, which followed a 1-0 defeat at Dortmund on the opening day of the season, which is the least bad result of the three. It's an awful start though. But it's an awful start. The only side that are below them in the Bundesliga is Bochum and that's on goal difference because they lost obviously 7-0 to Bayern. They got hosed by Bayern, yeah. So, play three, lost three, scored one, conceded six for Leverkusen. And considering this is a side that finished in the Champions League last year, like Champions League spots, which is a plus of the move for yeah. him. He will be playing Champions League football regularly. He will be starting games for Leverkusen, but I just wonder whether Dortmund might have been a better fit because that can be a part of the pitch where Dortmund, you know, there's a lot of like 
let's say um, maybe not turnover, but maybe maybe he looked at Dortmund and thought Julian Brandt plays there quite a lot. Mm. Jamie Bino Gittins has started to break through in that in that side. Am I really going to get the regular spots in those front three, especially when you've got Torgan Hazard who can play there? Yeah, Daniel Marlin can play there. Actually, maybe the the reason for the Leverkusen thing. It's guaranteed football. Guaranteed football. And he needs that. At this point of his career, he desperately needs that. Not just for the World Cup, but for him. Like for his, because he's kind of drifted. He's still only 22 though. Right, right. That also, here's the thing. Which is wild. Frank de Jong's already 25. Yeah. Hudson-Odoi was, I mean, we used to joke about it, like he's an advanced technology, he's an advanced piece of technology. Like that guy goes to the right club, the right context. He has like a Kingsley Coman career. You know, or, 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 or similar, like where he, he's that good that he could go into any, you know, hudson Adoy. it would not have been implausible for Callum hudson Adoy to be at Real Madrid two years ago and to be one of the wingers. You know that year they were having a trouble with Asensio and they, had the, 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 they couldn't knock down the other flank. They had Vinicius there and that was great and Benzema. hudson Adoy could easily, there's a world in which he could have been that guy. Yeah, that year that uh, Vinicius really broke through and then got injured. Right. There's, and, there's, there's, yeah. and this is the thing that kind of... Well, he had a, he had a potential move to Bayern, didn't he? Like, exactly. And this is, like, this, this is the thing for his camp. It's almost like he's 22. Just go there and have two mind-blowing years. You can yeah. do this. Look, look at the speed at which someone like Awonii played his way into contention. After all those loan moves and Awonii goes fully in at Union Berlin and look at his, he's changed his life, changed his career. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the thing for him is exciting. I would say the move makes less sense from different perspectives when you look at who was in for him. But actually, I, I still think I like the Leverkusen move only because of this. Remembering that performance they put in, was it the 4-3 against Dortmund mm. when they just go like into warp drive and Moussa Diaby is just playing stunning football and I think Dortmund pull out the, they pull out the hat 4-3, but Leverkusen really work them. And me thinking, wow, if you add, you add him to that mix, you add Hudson Odoi to that mix in a city like Leverkusen where expectations aren't ridiculous. This is the beauty of being there. Yes, they've had a terrible start to the season, but the fan base don't have that kind of rabid level of expectation you find at other big European clubs. Mm. So whether you like do really well at Leverkusen or not, people are quite sanguine about it. It's, it's the soft landing that he needs, actually, I think. Mm. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those... It's one of those signings because I mean you, you, you were kind of maybe concerned about where Leverkusen were and I you know I, I really take them because whenever you talk about fit you're generally right no but I actually think you're yeah. right here I think I, I think I got a little bit too invested in kind of like you're you know like Dortmund's the place for you if mm. you were going to go to Germany but also then actually no you're totally right like in terms of the goal here for him it's a win-win actually it is a win-win mm. I talked myself around to it because it is a win-win because for them for Leverkusen, they're getting a really, really good player who is mm. ready to go and has a point to prove. And yes. for, for Callum, he is going to pretty much play every game. It's and he's going to be playing in the Champions League. Yeah. And he's going to be, and a lot of people are going to be watching him because of his Chelsea, because he's a, essentially a Chelsea player playing for Leverkusen. So actually, no, I think that is. And I he's away from all the noise. Yeah. Bless him. He's away from all the noise, all the clamor, yeah. because we, we really underestimate. Like, we're not, you know, we're not. We're not in football. We, we talk about it, but we're not, we're not in that world of that expectation. And the Premier League, it's kind of like, it can be overwhelming. 
Yeah. And I don't mean that think, he's... Sorry to, to, to cut in, but just if, I think it's, I think my initial thought as well was also just that like, I think he was good enough to be a regular in the Dortmund side. Yes, oh, without but question. I, but yeah. I think that actually I didn't, when it first came through, I didn't realise that actually for them, they don't want to, like Callum and his team, they don't want to put him in another position where he's not getting regular football. So I think the safest bet for him is Leverkusen. Yeah, yeah. And you look at like, I, I just think the Bundesliga right now, I mean, that is a league where, unfortunately, everyone is beating everyone else, apart from Bayern. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and the, the Bundesliga has now started in quite a sort of entertaining, chaotic way. And that is the kind of chaos in which I think hudson Doy could, could thrive. And it's also the kind of chaos, like, that the Bundesliga throws up every single year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's been a lot of stuff said about the Bundesliga in the last couple of weeks. And to be honest, there's always stuff said about the Bundesliga. And I think that, Yes, there are, like, I wrote a thread about it last mm, week. Yes. Just, like, it's an issue that the DFL really needs to think about how they're going to tackle, and they need to do it now, mm. because they're losing ground, and they're falling behind in terms of a global, where they are in a global standing. Yeah. But also, I think if you asked any Bundesliga fan, or fan of a Bundesliga club in Germany, let's say, and I'm going to say maybe, like, fans that go to games, match-going fans, because so much of what the Bundesliga throws up is an actual on-the-ground match-day experience. You know, mm. it's affordable, it's super authentic, you're very close to, you feel very close to yeah. the experience. Like, compared to the massively over-sanitized nature of Premier League match-day experiences, c- comparatively, Yeah, you know, I, th- I know that the Premier League are trying to bring that back a little bit with the introduction to safe standing, and I'm all for that. I think it's an amazing idea. There are also numerous fan groups popping up at Premier League clubs now that I think are inspired by European ultra culture yeah, and are doing really good things in shouted out the guys at Arsenal. Obviously the guys at Palace are doing really good stuff. There are a little, there's like a new wave. So we're coming through and bringing kind of like authentic, like we're going to sing all game, we're going to do TIFOs, we're going to do choreos and all this kind of stuff. And I'm all for that. I know that it can... At the start, it's always going to feel a little bit manufactured because it's not part of the ingrained culture of English football. Mm. It's a different culture. It doesn't mean you can't add that into it yeah. step by step. But the Bundesliga has that in abundance and it has that to such an authentic level that there was no major European league that suffered more from the lack of fans than the Bundesliga. Yeah. Because even when fans returned, Ultras made a principled stance of not returning until the stadiums could be full. And so you know, the Bundesliga has only really been operating at max capacity since April this year. Like, think about how soon fans returned in England comparatively. Yeah. And I think this is a major part of it that you get this really, you see one team winning the league every year and it's massively a problem. We know this. Yeah. But I was like, well, if football is only ever about the team that wins the top division, then that is less than the 1% of fans that are ever going to be happy. Yeah. And it's just not like that in the Bundesliga. It's, it's yes, with the emergence of RB Leipzig over the last few years, that has locked down potentially like a little bit of the Champions League spots. And, and that is a problem for the Bundesliga. I think that the shoring up of a top four is becoming a little bit of an issue. But we had Gladbach in there a couple of years ago and we had Wolfsburg in there a couple of years ago. And then last year we had Dortmund and we had Leipzig and Leverkusen. 
You know, Eintracht Frankfurt won the Europa League and therefore you have five German clubs in the Champions League this year. This is an Eintracht Frankfurt that finished 11th in the league last season right. and knocked out West Ham and Barcelona in the Europa League. It's not a joke of a league at all and it's, it is definitely worth a watch. Here's a bit of a hot take. The this, middle put class. It this way, it's, yeah. Put it this way. It's just, I find it quite like a, yeah. like a super elitist point of view when you dismiss an entire league mm. just because one side is quite dominant in terms of winning it. Because there are 17 other clubs in that league. Also, Ian made the excellent point the other day like, um, that if it wasn't for Liverpool, yeah. we'd, have, we'd have that. If, we'd have the we'd, same thing. We'd have Man City like, winning yeah. every year. If it, well, we kind of have. Like, we kind of have even. Like, but we'd Four have, and five yeah. in the Premier League with Four all and- of that wealth. That even with all the wealth in the Premier League, isn't a million miles away from being something similar. Like, it, not- wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if Manchester City win the next four Premier Leagues. Not at all. That's not far-fetched. No, it's not. Not at all. And then you're talking about eight and nine years in the Premier League with all of that wealth. Yeah. The Bundesliga isn't like that. The drop-off between Bayern and Dortmund is huge and then Dortmund and the rest is quite, it's really big as well. They're not all operating on the same terms, like in La Liga. So yet it it is even more difficult to make up that gap. But the league as a whole is is amazing. And I think that if anyone... I don't think people who listen to us feel that way because we talk about, we've always talked about German football from the beginning. We've talked about the Frauen Bundesliga and we've talked about the, Bundes, the men's Bundesliga. You know, we talked about both Bundesligas and mm. the Zweiter quite a lot, yeah. the chaos of the Zweiter. It's something that we care about. But we also, for example, just because we live in Germany, it doesn't mean that we would like dismiss Liga uh, yeah, purely because of the dominance. No one did that with Serie A when Juve were winning it. And I think, do you know what I think that is? I think that still stems down to a lot of the main football journalist core mm. romanticising about Serie A from the 90s, being of that age where yeah, that's a big Serie A is a very yeah. romantic part. And I think if that had happened with the Bundesliga, the Bundesliga would have got a lot more grace. I think the challenge the Bundesliga has, actually, there is a thing that I think Grace Robertson said, which I think is a really important point, which is worth talking about is the, the variance of quality in terms of the signings that come out of the Bundesliga. And also you had that with the Eredivisie, players coming and you, you, there was a point where you could bank on a signing being good from certain leagues. Like some, some players come from certain leagues, okay, that signing is going to work. And the problem I think you have uh, sometimes from, you know, Eredivisie, you had it from like Germany is, we don't know how this player is going to perform because it's been too often that like, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a thousand reasons why players coming from a different, league coming into like another club don't work. I mean, Matteo Kesman, I still don't understand. I still don't understand how Matteo Kesman went from PSV to Chelsea and lost what made him so brilliant. I will still never understand. And you don't know if that's a psychological thing because technically he had everything. Um, and then you look at a player coming from Germany. It doesn't work out in the Premier League like a Timo Werner. Although the Timo Werner thing, there's, there's nothing Timo Werner did in the Bundesliga that surprised me about how he played in the Premier League. Like nothing no, at all. But also, nothing, yeah, can yeah, we just can we yeah. just kind of like touch on this a bit? Because I think yeah. this is a really good point. Yeah. But the core si- the key signings that have come out of Serie A and gone to the Premier League over the last couple of years, Cristiano Ronaldo, Romelu Lukaku. Right. Not really worked. Nicola Pepe, big signing out of Liga into Premier League. Not really. Right. Not really that great. What about like Spain, Morata, but also Iguain? Multiple high profile players have come from multiple leagues. Paul Pogba. Right. It's not just the Bundesliga. It's just that the Bundesliga is 
has a particular focus or yeah. If you use the Premier League as the barometer to judge all other leagues, then every single other league is going to disappoint you because the Premier League is a monstrosity, actually. Yeah. Like, it's a monstrosity. Like, it shouldn't exist, actually. If we're, if we're, if we're really, really, really going to get into it, the criticism of Liga and the criticism of La Liga and the criticism of Serie A and the criticism of the Bundesliga actually comes down to all of us deep down in our soul knowing that the Premier League, as it is, shouldn't be allowed to exist. And we're just kind of being like, well, you're shit, you're shit, you're shit, you're shit. The defence mechanism. It kind of is a bit because it is grotesque. It the way is it's quite grotesque. Yeah, the way it's like, been allowed to We love it. We love yeah. the product. We love the product because who wouldn't love such a, an amazing high quality league on the pitch? Right. But it is a complete monstrosity of a football league. And it's essentially a super league in itself. When you have Newcastle United paying Real Sociedad 70 million euros for a striker that no one really else was in the market for, and Real Madrid, who won the Champions League, probably would be like, yeah, we can't really afford that. Right. It's wild. You have Nottingham Forest coming up to the Premier League and spending the amount of money that they have. If that's the measure. If that's yeah. your basis of what top level football in quotation marks should be, then every single league is always going to disappoint you. Yeah. And that's why so many people actually shit on the Champions League group stages because they see these actual normal clubs competing against some Premier League clubs and they're just like, what a waste of time. Yeah. It's actually really like... It's if wild. You, if, it's you, wild. if you actually kind of get into the weeds of it, I know yeah. I'm kind of thinking my way through this, but it's just... No, you're right, you're right. That actually, yeah. that's where it comes from. And if you look at the turnover of like, you look at the turnover of like Premier League clubs that aren't even the top six and they have a huge compared to the turnovers of traditional European giants. Yeah. Like, you know, look at Marseille and Roma. Like, those are like European giants and they, their turnover is just overwhelmed by the turnover of like Premier clubs that are like mid-table. It's wild. Like, it's wild. Was it Burnley's revenue a couple of years ago was more than Ajax or something like that? And it's like, Ajax. Huge. These clubs Fucking are- Fucking yeah, yeah. Ajax. Sorry, <laughs> can we just stop for a second? Ajax. I mean, it might change this year because Ajax are basically just rinsing Money United for everything. <laughs> <laughs> God. Don't I know that that sounds like a little bit kind of like, you know, old man yells at football cloud. Yeah. But the Premier League has to exist in its own bubble because it is in its own bubble. Yes, yes. And actually, yeah. if you want to get in, if you want to be real about it, then you should say that the Premier League is probably, Premier League clubs have probably underachieved in Europe over the last decade. Yes, yes. If I mean, again, do that, and again, and again, by like, if you, and the, but this is the thing, like, it's not like, the, like, the playing field is I can't believe I'm going to say this. I can't believe I'm about to say this. But how have Real Madrid become the vanguards? How have they become? <laughs> how are Real Madrid defending traditional? How, how are Real Madrid the salvation <laughs> of European football? How has that happened? How has that happened? I can't have said that. Yeah, but in terms of Real Madrid have stood between, you know, spending at that level and, and the Premier League dominance. They've, they've been one of the clubs that has like, I mean, consistently the troubleshooters. I mean, this last Champions League campaign, a classic example. It's like, if you, if you look at it in terms of like music, right? Right. Not everyone is going to be able to afford the production value of Kendrick. Thank you. Right. Not everyone can afford to go into a studio for six months. And, and, the, an touring, and the touring musicians. Yeah. 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 Doesn't mean their music's any less good. It's just different. Right. No, great shout. All right, then. Well, I'm going to post this and mute the replies because... <laughs> 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 I feel like there are going to be some coming.
Anything else you want to add, Musa or Gongo? Should we get out of here? Absolutely. I just want to say on this final note, it's always like nice to have a closing message now and again. When faced with a complex situation in your professional, personal life, just think, what would Pedri do? What Come is on. the <laughs> what would Pedri do? What is the simplest and most elegant way to extract yourself from the conundrum? Because if Pedri can do it, so can you. Well, you probably can't because no one else can do what Pedri does, but still. <laughs> it's nice to aspire. It's nice to aspire. <laughs> If only you'd had your Santa costume on when you'd said that, it would have been lovely. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone, uh, that'll do us for this week. Don't forget to check Wrighty's house. Check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, as we mentioned at the top of the show, playing out on a brand new one from Faulty DL featuring Juliana Barwick. It's a track called Four Horses. Yeah, that's a really addictive tune, actually. Beautiful record. It's a good one. It's a good one. Anything else, Musa? No, all good. All right, everyone, have a lovely weekend. Much love. We'll be back on Monday. See you then. Time is nothing new to you You better stay cool Even though you feel And time runs out on you You better stay cool You better come Stay home.